Out of the 93 Best Picture winners, one must be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. I'm Timo. I'm joined by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram, and it's that podcast where we take a look at all the Best Picture winners, we view them with our eyes, we hear them with our ears, and then we decide where they go on a great big list of all the Best Pictures ranked across the ages. But the twist is that we're doing it in random order, and this week, the gods of random chance, that great, oh-powerful spin wheel, has given us The Deer Hunter from 1978, directed by Michael Cimino. It's got a pretty stacked cast, Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken... John Cazale, a young Meryl Streep's in there, too. Um, A very interesting movie. It's a Vietnam War movie, so I think we're going to be making some comparisons to at least one other film that's on our list and a second film that's not on our list. Um, But, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. I actually am really looking forward to talking about it. But first, got to do a little housekeeping. Last week, we talked about An an American in Paris from 1951, a musical, um, which we, by and large, thought was interesting and fun until the end, where we thought it was pretty boring. Um, I highly recommend going and checking out that review. We said a lot of interesting stuff about a movie that, you know, I would say wavers on the worth your time scale. Um, (laughs) It ended up, Long story short, number 23 out of 32 on our entire list. But today, we're going to be trying to figure out where this movie ends up. I I have no idea. I don't really have a premonition on where my three compatriots are going to put it. But I'm starting to form an inkling in my mind. To get us started, Tanner, you've expressed interest in wanting to do the plot synopsis of this movie. So just lay it on. What what happens in this film? Who are the main players? This What's is a on? this is a a three hour Vietnam uh, epic of sorts, and I'll, I'll do my best to summarize it uh, in in short order. So we have we have our best friends Mike, Nick, and Steve, portrayed by Robert De Niro, uh, Christopher Walken, and John Savage, respectively, and they are some young, sprightly, and uh, j- just generally good spirited thirty uh, five year old men who are just ready and raring to go to hop on that plane to fly over to Vietnam. They work uh, on a nondescript metal plant of some sort. <laughs> And indeed, and they, they a, do. And a, and a steel Steve mill. just got married. Yep. Steve just got married. Uh, and Robert or Nick and Mike are both in love with Linda, as portrayed by Meryl Streep. As as Timo said, she is in this movie in an early role for her. Uh, but they head over to Vietnam. Things, uh, if you can believe it or not, don't go really great for them in Vietnam, uh, as they generally didn't for a lot of people. They uh, undergo some terrible circumstances and head back to the United States, uh, carrying a lot of trauma with them. And the last third of this movie is them dealing with that trauma. Uh, you know, we see we see Robert De Niro return returning to his hometown and having to come to terms with how he's changed and how he can't connect to the people that he once knew. He tries to uh, go back and meet up with his friend Steve, uh, who is changed physically and emotionally. And uh, ultimately, he has to go back to Vietnam to find uh, Nick, correct? Christopher Walken? Yeah, he has uh, to go back has, to find Nick, who's... Who, Yep. Who's the change? Who's changed most at all of them, and you know, really has become entrenched in this uh, in this underground world of Russian roulette playing, uh, a theme of this movie, which I'm sure we'll get into. But that is 1978's The Deer Hunter. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty, pretty good, pretty concise. Given that this movie is mm-hmm. um, really not, long, not a, not a short one at all. But Tucker, what do you think? Just leading right off, what do you think of this film? I got out of finishing The Deer Hunter approximately 25 minutes ago. I, I was cheesing it in right at the last minute before we had to record. <laughs> um, and and I that was mostly because I had a hard time motivating myself to watch this movie. There were a few factors going in. You know, I've been watching a lot of blockbustery type stuff. So this was a out of my wheelhouse. And I was like, I don't really, you know, I'm not really excited to. The three hour runtime was pretty daunting for me to start. Um, but in the end, I think this is a really very good movie. It's got some fantastic performances. It's got a lot of ideas that I really like. I just think it's pretty greatly hampered by a couple of things that I think we'll get into. Um, so it didn't quite hit the emotional highs that I wanted it to, but I think the content and performances are certainly there, so I can understand why it received the critical acclaim that it did, especially in the time period being released so recently compared uh, to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Abram, your thoughts? I, I didn't like it that much, to be honest with you. So I, I have seen um, a number of Vietnam War films recently, not only Platoon, but 
I get to put on my, my film boy hat here for a second in my world cinema class. We checked out both Apocalypse Now and Bolt in the Head, the latter of which is a John Woo film from the 90s, which is basically this exact film thematically and with some of the same motifs, it's just better. Um, and my issue with The Deer Hunter is that I don't feel like it, it knows what to show and what not to show. And I feel like the entire film is is a lead up to the harrowing um, POW Russian roulette sequence mm -hmm. and then a slow decline from it through what I don't think is especially compelling PTSD characterization to end at an interesting note that comes too late. I, I didn't like the structure. I don't think that it, it, it works on the whole. And while I completely understand and contextualize it within its importance to film canon, being so close to the Vietnam War, like Tucker said, we're talking about these films in 2021. We're looking at how these these best pictures stack up now. And I just think that in, in such a competitive sub-genre as Vietnam cinema, it doesn't do a lot for me. Hmm. Interesting. Tanner, you got any thoughts beyond your, your plot synopsis? Um, any thoughts on that big old head of yours? Uh, I have some thoughts, but they they tend to be mostly the same as what what as what Tucker summarized. I can, I can recognize this as a as a very competently made film. You know, we we have some very fantastic performances, uh, not only from our leading cast but also some more bit players like John Cazale and Meryl Streep. Uh, but I think there is that there is a choice, uh, which I'm sure we'll 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 really dissect uh, in this film that uh, I just really can't. I, I really can't get around, um, and yeah, that, that's those are basically my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, <clears throat> I I'm, I'm more on the boat of more in the boat with Tucker that I think this mm -hmm. film is is worthwhile to watch. Very powerful, very moving. Um, I think it has it 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 has some stuff to say. I I don't think there's a huge amount of nuance in the themes going on, but uh, I do find it very. You know, I there was a point where. In shortly after this POW scene with the Russian roulette, where I turned the movie off, I was going to watch it all last night, and I just said, "You know what? I can't do it. I can't watch this movie right now. I have to let my mind be at ease because it was, mm. it had worked its way. It was a little brainworm in there, and it was, it was, you know, I was like, this needs to be watched during the day, um, and that's sure. I, I think a lot where my um, feelings for the film come from. I'm going to agree with you guys. This movie is really long, and I think that there are some interesting choices made in regards to its length. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I really want to dive into it. I want to know, Tanner, what do you think are these the, this choice that you referenced? What is uh, that, and, I, and how does it affect the film? I think the choice, that and something that, uh, we should all, that we should all really analyze, is the de decision in this film to hard cut, you know, months into their tour in Vietnam, they are basically captured as POWs in like minutes into us being introduced to Vietnam as a, as a set piece for this for this film, and we skip over a lot of their uh, their traumatization in this film, uh, or for their characters. Uh, I guess you can infer that they picked up a lot of that in that POW camp being forced to play Russian roulette, but that just it seems like we skipped over a lot of that characterization where these men have been twisted and hardened. And uh, really, just broken down by their experiences in Vietnam, having only and we only get to see one instance of that. Maybe, maybe the greatest instance, but really, again, only one instance of it. Yeah. Amy, have something to for say? For me, for me, I don't think the hard cut works, but not conceptually. It comes down to the execution for me. Mm -hmm. I, I think that arriving in vietnam at that first sequence where de niro wakes up and then kills that last soldier and then cutting to the pow camp that didn't work for me because that felt jarring and there, it didn't feel like there's any useful spatial relationships and i don't think that the lack of that said anything to me what i think would have been most useful in terms of the hard cut would have been to go directly from hanging out to the POW camp. I feel like that's sure. the juxtaposition that speaks way louder to how I feel that it manages to meander in in the in the time that it that it cuts from pre pre-war to during the war. Mm -hmm. You mentioned yeah. juxtaposition and I think that's an important technique that this film uses. Um, and I think that hard cut causes some problems. There's just a little bit too much time to really get you to to see the stark difference between they're they're happy they're at home they just got married they party they drink a lot of beer 
um, and they're in being forced to possibly kill themselves for the pleasure of their captors. That's a very, mm-hmm. those are opposite, as opposite as you can get, right? Um, but it kind of, it, 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 the effect is lessened when you have that little break of time there. And that sequence in the, uh, in the village there with the, um, the Vietnamese soldier, the North Vietnamese soldier who, who blows up the children is, is weird. And I don't think it's, it's, it's kind of disingenuous and it's, I don't know. There's, I, there's some well, racial undertones in this film about the Vietnamese people that I, I'm not, that don't sit super well with me. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's what it is, I guess. It, it does color uh, my thinking a little bit, but Tanner, I, I can, I can get into a bit of the trivia. Tucker said, this is, uh, if you guys would like me to, I can get yeah, into yeah, a go. bit of the a trivia about the, uh, the reception of this film at the time, because as Tucker said earlier, this came very soon, uh, well, sort of towards the end of the Vietnam war, but it was really the first one to, uh, display the Vietnam war like it does, you know, this very, uh, gritty, probably very accurate retelling of what actually happened. I say pretty accurate because uh, Michael Cimino came under fire for his use of the Russian roulette scenes, which uh, many historical accounts really have, there's no uh, precedent for that actually occurring during the Vietnam Mm. War. Michael Cimino says, actually, no, I have this news clipping from Vietnam that says it does, that it did happen. That's all really besides the point because uh, this film came under fire from, you know, more patriotic people who say, oh, he's he's betraying this uh, more, you know, being be in a more anti-war lens. And even anti-war people were saying this is racist towards the Vietnamese people, uh, you know, really di- displaying the conflict with no nuance to it at all. So it, it really came it came under fire from both sides. And that's interesting to hear, considering from what I know of. The one person that I know that was alive during that time that saw the movie mm. is my dad, who said mm. that he really enjoyed it. And it was one of those movies that he and his friends talked about a lot. Like, it was really important to the movie culture at that time. And, mm. I mean, he didn't mention anything about the controversy about it, though we were just sort of talking about movies he liked, mm. so maybe he wouldn't have. But for me, I think that this movie... It, it's, I have a thesis statement about it. Okay. It's, it, it's a character-driven movie, very clearly. But it's an mm-hmm. impersonal one. It it shows you these characters, but it doesn't show you like their internal thoughts. You don't get a lot of um, introspection with them. It just shows clips from their lives, and I think that it loses some weight because of that. And I think the direct comparison of what this movie is, I think, kind of inspired by is The Best Years of Our Lives, which is mm-hmm. a movie that is entirely about the post-war reintegrating into society and dealing with PTSD and interpersonal relationships. And I saw this movie as trying to lead to that and have those character moments where he's returning home. It's a little difficult for him and all that, but because they did those hard cuts, cut out so much of their lives and don't give the focus on introspection of how they're feeling about moments or or how each person is reacting to one another, Like, I think it loses that weight that could lead to something very poignant. Sure. And I, honestly, I just like the best years of our lives significantly more. I think it tells that story in a much more interesting way with more mm. interesting characters. But it's interesting to see that modernized. And I do think that while I prefer the best years of our lives in terms of its focus, I'm glad this movie shows the just blatantly the violence that's in the Vietnam yeah. War. I think it's very powerful because of that. The POW sequence and them floating down the river and running out of strength and the bruised, bloody makeup and all that is intense. It's insane and i think it has some power because of that it just didn't lead in the way that i wanted to to the to the third act and i think that's also because bringing this all around the first act on the whole i think feels like fluff that Mm. that wedding sequence goes on for like 20 minutes and most (laughs) of it is not it's not really developing the characters too much i think the hunting sequence does better at that i think them hanging out in the car does better at that so the fact that the beginning is fluff the the middle is impactful but doesn't lead into the end means that this film feels very weirdly structured to me mm-hmm. i think the structure is something very interesting about this film you you I, there's an argument that you could be made that could be made i think that it's an alternative narrative that it's not a three act mm. structure or that it's a three act structure with the climax in the middle 
um, it's, you know, a rise and fall narrative without, um, <clears throat> you know, they, they build up to the POW camp and, and fall off from the POW camp. That happens pretty close to the middle of the film. Um, there's a couple yeah. scenes right around the, either side of there. It's probably 50 minutes in or an hour in. Yeah, it's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half in. So I think that that is an interesting choice. You know, you don't get a lot of films that choose to go like that, that choose to change the three-act structure of building until the last moment. Um, and so from what I'm hearing from you guys, it didn't quite work for you. And I, it does make the film feel a little meandering until as it as it goes along. Throughout the whole runtime, I was gonna say uh, throughout the end, but I, you know, <laughs> that that the beginning sequence you write goes on and on and on. I found it enjoyable to watch. It was interesting, <laughs> yeah. but it it doesn't. I don't know how much it adds to yeah the this theme that they're going for about PTSD and about war. There's other themes in this mm. film that are brought up in those spaces, um, but. I don't like what is it really they're they're not fleshed out what does it matter what is their Russian American identity matter that that's brought up mm. a couple times doesn't matter it's an interesting theme that could have been explored but it was chosen not to yeah my problem personally with the first act comes in hindsight because Timo I agree that it's it's enjoyable to watch and I and I thought I understood what they were building toward but it doesn't happen a lot of that that first act for, in terms of projecting forward is about let's set up these relationships interpersonally, particularly the love triangle, which never has any consequence afterwards. I, I think yeah. part of my, my problem with, with what the film shows versus what it doesn't show is it sets up these dynamics that are then supposed to play out in a post-Vietnam setting, and they don't because of how horribly wrong everything goes in Vietnam. But then you mm -hmm. also don't see how horribly wrong it goes because you see Stevie kind of in a circumspect way. You never really see Nick fall apart. You never see there's this whole like like moff like German infused mafia, which is so interesting, but you don't see it. You, you learn about it in a circumspect way. It, and then, okay, De Niro comes back, but there's no tension really here between him and Marilyn Monroe anymore because ultimately Nick's not there to play off of him. So why did, why does anything on either side of the POW sequence happen the way it does? I really feel like Michael Saramino shot an incredibly harrowing sequence in the camp and then had to make a movie that sat on either side of it. And that's just the way it feels to me, to be honest. No, Abram, are you... Really, are you oh, he's uh, are making you, these jokes. Are you purposely uh, pronouncing the names wrong? Are you getting the names wrong? <laughs> How many did 100%. I get wrong? Well, it's uh, it's French Marilyn, It's French people in the film. They're not Germans. Oh, oh you said okay. Marilyn Monroe yeah. as well. And it's Meryl Streep. Opposed to what? Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah, that would do it. <laughs> and Michael Sarah and Michael Saramino instead of Michael Chimino. Well, that's yeah, like none a of that joke was on purpose. Yeah, yeah, none of it yeah. was on purpose. I probably should have said it was on purpose, but I think my overall point stands in like yeah, one hundred percent. It was just yeah. a little bit confusing in the moment, but I do want yes. to say that. Um, one of the things that we come away with watching consistently long best picture winners and mm -hmm. them hitting for us or not is does the movie justify its runtime? Yeah. And I think because we are of our analysis of this, we're like, okay, well, was this really necessary? Did this really lead into anything else? Did this feel like fluff or not? It doesn't justify its runtime. And I think this movie is much more impactful if you have a quick setup of who these characters are, a lengthy thing of them in Vietnam and developing them and, and, getting broken down and then the return and then with the end sequence of him of mike returning to nick i think mm -hmm. that's an interesting story i think it's an interesting character dynamic with the love triangle that doesn't necessarily play out Abram, i think you're underselling a little bit because i think it does in, uh, affect the way that um that uh de niro and meryl streep like interact they're both missing nick and she was clearly more in love with nick than she was with mike so there's like some internal tension there but it never comes to a head and i think that's yeah. what you were mm -hmm. you were missing is payoff really because yeah. there's there's setup and there's continuation but there's not really payoff and i think that because it feels empty honestly as we're talking about this more my opinion on the movie is is, is dropping unfortunately because i do think there's good content in there mm -hmm. but the movie doesn't justify its runtime and it does not need to be three hours long no i, I think you guys agree with me on that one not really yeah, i think i, I, I think agree. it loses oh. it's 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 the, the powerfulness when it it's not as long as it is i think that even mm. though it i agree that it doesn't justify the runtime i think that it it needs to be long in order for you to see these things play out in a, in a in an extended way 
Um, and while I agree, I would like to see more Vietnam stuff. I don't need a lot more. I maybe need a couple more mm. scenes just to prove the point that it's bad. You know, I know I know that it's bad. I have the context. I know that it's causing their brains to be totally screwed up. Um, but maybe you show me that a little bit more than just expect than expecting the audience to just implicitly understand that. Um, also, you get to flex. It's you know every filmmaker would dream to have a crazy you know battle sequence in Vietnam like well, they did. Um, but the the from then on afterward, I think all the stuff that happens afterward is important, and the way that it just is, it slowly kind of builds and 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 there's ebbs and flows is is nice to me. It's it's I'm I'm having trouble explaining it, but the subtle ways that you know De Niro looks and you could tell he really feels out of place and he's trying to figure out what to do and there's this this sort of mystery about his friends and he's trying to figure out Nick and and um, Stevie right. That's Steve. Yeah. 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 And then he's Steve. just trying to figure out about him. And I think from the point after the POW camp onward, I I really wouldn't desire to change a whole lot. I think the beginning could be shortened. Um, but other than that, I think that the the way the film tells its story and its longevity post, you know, about an hour and a half in works for me. Yeah. Uh, I want to quickly address something that you said, Timo, because you said uh, obviously it's every it's every director's dream to like be able to uh, direct a giant bombastic scene like that in Vietnam. But I actually felt like some of the you know some of the more filmmaking fundamentals, especially when we were in Vietnam, were a bit lacking. Especially the uh, mm. the sound, the lighting. It just seemed all uh, like off and like lower quality than the rest of the film. Uh, maybe Michael Cimino <laughs> was a bit out of his depth. Because uh, at this time, looking at his filmography, he wasn't an incredibly uh, experienced director, especially not with something, you know, you're flying across the, you're flying halfway across the world to go film in Vietnam. Uh, it sh- it's probably more, it, it just, it definitely seems, you know, more rough around the edges than the rest of this film. Because it's, the rest of the film is very well shot. It's very, com- you know, the, the sound design and everything is, are very competently well done. Uh, but that Vietnam sequence, it distracted me a little bit with how rough around the edges the filmmaking was, and it didn't seem like a conscious choice to me either. Hmm. That's interesting. I did notice a lot of the film gets very grainy in Vietnam. They're shooting in very mm-hmm. low light. Um, they obviously, in in processing of that film, they're pulling a lot. They're they're probably pulling a couple stops up on that film stock to just get an image, which causes it to be a lot grainier. Um, just because there's like the scene in the bedroom of the of the brothel that Nick goes to, and I think mm-hmm. that was lit with like that single light that's in that lamp. I think they really used yeah. very little. Um, they shot very not realistically, but they shot without much film lights and that kind of stuff, which sure. adds to this look and adds to this feel. I think for me at least that it's it's gritty and dirty. And note that scene right after that when we follow Nick in. I think Saigon, when we're following him there, that was the most heart harrowing scene. That was where like everything about the um like what just happened like hits it hit me then. It didn't hit me during you know, I was so engrossed in the tension or whatever. But when that scene happened, I was like, oh, like he's he's forever changed. He like really can't accept what's going on right now. It's it's just going all wrong and he's and he and then he stumbles upon the um the Russian roulette mob with mm-hmm. the with the French guy, um, and you know, I didn't really notice a huge amount wrong with like in in terms of like wrong filmmaking fundamentals. There, there's mm. I there are some sound issues here and there throughout the entire film that don't really matter to me. They're just little nitpicky bits. Um, sure, but that scene did have a lot of weight to me, and I guess that's why I maybe didn't notice so much about what you were talking about. Yeah, I think that um, scene is really important, and it speaks to something I disagree with that you said earlier, Timo. Is I, I think that 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 hospital sequence uh, works because it's very explicit, and you're kind of talking about building a sense of mystery in the second half. But I don't think that mystery is there, and I think that's part of why I'm frustrated about the decision to to not show certain elements because ultimately De Niro does know where Nick is because he's able to pretty efficiently get back there. We see that he's to some extent integrated into this roulette scene already. So it, it, it feels to me as though the neither the audience nor the characters, at least De Niro, who we follow, need to work out where Nick is, need to work out these things. So then why not just show us these really interesting elements? You know, we see this jovial Nick and then we see for a moment 
him begin to fall into this terrible lifestyle is that I think really excellent scene where he sees the roulette see the, the roulette scene for the first time hits the guy pulls the trigger against his own head and walks out but then we don't mm-hmm. know what happens after that and I don't think that it's a a, a in a moment where where there's ju- forceful juxtaposition being created like going to Vietnam for the first time it feels like we just drop that and we revisit it later but we revisit it knowing as the audience and as a cast of characters where Nick is and where he is is more interesting, I think, than where we end up with the camera. And and that's part of my problem with the second half of the film. Mm. Even though, sure, there are those interesting moments like De Niro arriving, asking the cabbie to drive past, standing removed, watching people drive away. Sequences again like you expect and again like we see in the best years of our lives. So it feels like the most interesting moments that are not, in my opinion, shrouded in any mystery are just left to the imagination. Sure. Yeah, and I think that the movie would have worked a little better if that balance was done better. And we're going to keep bringing up the best years of our lives because I think it does what this movie's trying to do better is if they had balanced that last act between the three different characters and we had seen more of Nick becoming entrenched in the roulette scene, if we had seen... um, uh, Steve, thank you, me, I remembered. Uh, if we'd seen him show up at the hospital and deal with the loss of his legs and seen him progress and get used to being at the hospital, because as he was saying, he's like, he enjoys the place and he doesn't want to leave. It felt shoehorned into just those scenes where Mike was interacting with the two of them because they didn't get any screen time of their own. And I was just like, okay, well, what's the other guy up with? Because in all honesty, to me, while I do think De Niro did a great job, I think he's an interesting character of how how ridiculously and scarily cool he is under pressure. Like, that's a really interesting character concept. But the other two I found more interesting. So I wanted to see what they were up to and, and how they were dealing with this, these new stresses. And plus, they were in more interesting locations, if, if we're being real. Um, I do think this movie is, though, a a sea of of things that I think could have been cut to to increase the overall tension, consistent tension. But in those, I think, are really high spikes of excellently directed and acted tension-filled scenes. I think the focus on characters' facial reactions to these tense sequences are absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's some amazing facial expression work going on here from all the actors. And, and I know how consistent the theme and reoccurrence of Russian Roulette is, but those are the best scenes in the movie. Every time that comes back out, it brings out something in those characters. It brings out the tension in the scene, in the, in the world around them. And I was always just waiting to get to that next tension-filled moment because I felt that the spaces between that weren't as interesting. Well, I want to yep. say it happens, the Russian roulette even happens in places where you wouldn't expect it, on the deer hunting trip, the, the second one. Exactly, in the yes. That that's is like point. a, yeah. oh my God, that's a scene. I want to just it's, note out there that, um, where did they film that? Like those deer hunting sequences are just incredibly <laughs> oh. beautiful. That cannot be Pennsylvania. Oh, they don't have mountains that no, beautiful that, in Pennsylvania. I was gonna, Please. I was going to bring that up. Uh, because I was like, oh, yeah, this film is set in the, you know, high altitude of beautiful mountainous regions of Pennsylvania. Uh, no, but those those sequences were actually shot in Washington, which I don't hmm. know. Okay, once I, I was, once I was I put kind that of together guessing. in my mind, like, why did they set this in Pennsylvania if uh, if a set you know, in Washington <laughs> to set it in Washington? I, think, I guess they wanted I like, think that, it's the, that it's steel town, the steel town yeah. immigrant, in, which is another interesting choice because. Ultimately, it doesn't matter for the rest of for the important themes in the film. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. the fact there's in the hospital scene with Nick when when the guy asks, oh, is that a Russian name? And Nick says it's an American name. And he's like, well, yeah, but but that that's that's a moment there. And I I would have wished to get a a couple more of those sprinkled out as to just fully flesh out this sub theme that was interesting, Mm -hmm. but was never shown. You know, we spend so much time at this wedding. It's an orthodox wedding. We've got the people doing the traditional dances and the traditional music. And then it comes back once more and then it never shows up again. And you know, Mm -hmm. that would have been, that would have been nice to see and and have it add, add more character and add, add more depth to the, the nuance of the themes of the film because yeah. ultimately, Abram, you're a theme man. If you could sum up the theme of this film in, in one or two sentences, what would it be? War gives you PTSD and also I had a lot of other ideas. That's how I feel, honestly. <laughs> because my... I, I, I pretty much agree with you yeah. <laughs> the, the thematic material is so unfocused. That's something I wanted to bring up, particularly in, in, uh, with De Niro's character who acts his ass off in every sequence he's in which elevates i think otherwise 
kind of poorly written arcs because like you said Timo the sequence where he comes back into I don't know to, to Fredo holding the gun to the other guy that that's a great moment and that pays off his experience but what happened to the this is this and this means this and all of the, the Fredo again goes to him and says this is just pretentious bullshit and it kind of feels that way because I don't think that that the director really spends the time to pay any of this off. Again, speaking to not only their status as immigrants, but their status as being these basically just regular immigrant American degenerates working in a local town with this great sense of community who then have to be shipped off to Vietnam. That's really interesting. And as someone from a rural area myself, not an immigrant area, but also a place full of rural degenerates who work in these blue-collar jobs and have this great sense of community... That's an interesting thing to explore with the tensions of being shipped off, coming back, but it doesn't matter because, again, like Tucker said earlier, which I think is really interesting, it's it's a character study, but it's not very personal. Everybody comes yeah. back and, and they welcome them in, and it's very congratulatory and all this, which I think is important, in my opinion. I, I, I like seeing the veterans honored and everything, but I just don't feel like, what are we saying here? Or what we, we've written a lot of opening clauses to thematic statements. There's a lot of opening clauses, but those sentences just mm-hmm. never get finished. Mm-hmm. There's so many like that. And I think that's uh, really frustrating. Um, I, I don't know how much longer we're going to go on this, but I'd like uh, to break down two of the, you know, uh, recurring thematic scenes and repeating sequences in this. And those are obviously Russian roulette, which I feel like we touched on a little bit, but I want to talk about a little bit. And the deer hunting sequences, the namesake of this movie. Uh, the, starting off with Russian Roulette, um, uh, uh, I think Tucker said this already, they're fantastically shot, the facial expressions of all these characters are great, the direction in them is all very fantastic. I found myself, it, uh, like, grabbing my desk as I was watching, and, yes. like, like, I was like, I want, I don't want to watch this, I don't want to watch this, yeah. Dude, any of you guys, I, I found myself, like, calculating the odds of, like, what their likelihood to live is in all those sequences. I'm like, okay, so there's six shot, there's six shots in this revolver. They fired off one, so they got they got a, they have a 60% chance of living right now, since there's three bullets in the, in the chambers. And then they fi- shot, fired off another one. I'm like, okay, now they got a 75% chance of dying. Holy shit, okay. When De Niro is screaming at, at, at Nick when there there's yes. there's four chambers there's one empty chamber and if that clicks and there's not a bullet de niro is going to kill everybody in the room that is mm-hmm. one of th- that is a moment that wins an oscar right there that is a just yes. that is a best picture justifying moment with two incredible actors and incredibly harrowing conceit and all of that that moment's stunning yes. i just wanted to interject i, I, I mean if yeah. we're going to continue on those the performances in that area of the film, I think Steve having like reactions to every click of the barrel and De Niro having to like comfort him while they're standing waist deep mm-hmm. in dirty water in a cage underneath a wooden shack. That's, I mean, that's really powerful yes. stuff. And that yes. kind of PTSD where every click unearths the entire trauma of Steve's like time in Vietnam. That, I mean, that's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that had been, you know, at least brought up one more time in the in the movie, like in that last sequence. I don't remember even if like his that deeply seated PTSD ended up uh, affecting his character. And we end. get it from we get it from De Niro once when he goes to visit Stevie and a nurse drops something that oh, triggers yeah. it. So oh, there are little really moments like that, that, but they don't sure, really yeah. pay off a whole lot again. It's very um, subtle, kind of hard about- to miss. Yeah. Yes, quick thing, quick piece of fun trivia about uh, Steve, because there's not a lot of fun trivia about this movie, uh, about John Savage, who, who plays Steve in this movie. When he gets put in that, like, separate cage that's, like, almost completely submerged and there's rats, and he says, uh, Mike, there's rats in here, Mike. And, like, when I watched the movie, I'm like, that's a weird take, because it, it's sort of like a shift in cadence and stuff from uh, from the rest of his character in that scene. I learned that that was actually not not a scripted moment. He was not talking to Mike, Robert De Niro's character. He was talking to Michael Cimino, the director, because John Savage is afraid of rats and didn't know there was rats in the river. That's pretty cool, oh, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, well, also, I would say that's not a fun piece of... Tr- it's funny <laughs> in the yeah, context of us. It was not fun for him. <laughs> no, absolutely. He, he, no, he's, that's... Like, yeah, he had a fear of rats, and he's like, Mike, Mike, there's rats in here. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh that that that's falls into the character the the category of 
exploitative director moments, the kind of stuff you, yes. you really ought to avoid doing to your actors. Second quick thing, mm -hmm. uh, trivia about about that Vietnam roulette, Russian roulette sequence. Uh, they they were actually slapping uh, the actors. That those, those are real hits, real slaps. And the main guy, like the guy who was in charge there, uh, actually it was uh, he was a Thai man who who the casting director casted because he hated Americans. So he got that real actual you know malice for these um, oh, for these American actors because no one else wanted to hit Robert De Niro and like be angry towards Robert De Niro because he was this like tough as nails taxi driver guy at this time in history. Mm -hmm. Wow. Those those are very in some ways he never left it. In some ways, yeah. Tanner, you had mm -hmm. you want to talk about the deer hunting scenes because I think those are yes. very important too and I want to hear your thoughts on them. Um uh, well, first of all, they're shot fantastically. Um, you know, the, the cinematography. I'm a sucker for like the capturing of giant mountainous regions like that in the American West and nor Pacific Northwest in this in this case. Pennsylvania, um, in quotes. But yeah, pe quote unquote Pennsylvania. Lovely Pennsylvania mountains. <laughs> oh yes, those high altitude peaks. Um, but I think they serve. You know, obviously there's the first one, and then there's the second one after Mike returns from Vietnam, where he actually. Uh, decides against killing the deer. He doesn't become the deer hunter in that sequence. I, I, it's surprising. It's surprising, I know. Uh, but, I, you know, I read that as, obviously, you know, he has some newfound appreciation for life. Uh, but I kind of wanted to know what your guys' thoughts were on the thematic meaning of that scene. Or those two scenes juxtaposed, even. Hmm. I mean, I can start. I'll say that I, as Abrams write that the film doesn't close off its themes this that's just that moment where he lifts the gun and shoots is as close to a closure as you're going to get in the film besides mm -hmm. from the funeral yeah. and so that you know i saw it and i thought to myself oh he didn't kill him he doesn't i i, I guess the the surface level thought is he doesn't like killing anymore or maybe it's he he likes life or or something like that um but i think mm -hmm. you can read into it more i mean i think there's more to it as a character like oh this is like that was his personality as we were shown in the beginning of the movie and now he can't do that anymore he like couldn't bring himself to shoot the deer and he's got his whole mm -hmm. thing about one shot and so i think i, th yeah. I think th i think it works really well um in regards to those two sequences with vietnam in the middle and this single theme that we're talking about which accounts for like 20 minutes of runtime of this three-hour movie mm -hmm. yeah one thing i would say about that is it actually is i think inherently a little more interesting in the act in that he doesn't just not choose to kill the deer he mm -hmm. fires his gun away from the deer so that his friends can hear the shot and like he's still like filling that role and he's like oh well it just barely slipped away even though he's got this one shot this is this sort of archetype mm -hmm. at the beginning i think that's a really good character moment for him and he like yeah. talks to the deer and like i i think it's a, a really good moment and and obviously highlighted by especially i think the color palette of that region with the gray rocks and the blue water and the green moss and stuff i'm like oh mm, yes more please mm, um mm. but i i do think that that was a, a really good sequence and as timo said one of the only instances of you know payoff uh mm -hmm. of of setups from earlier in the film hmm Abram? well i i agree to an extent but i feel like it gets muddled i i i feel like there could have been an interesting thing where mike where Mike and Nick's PTSD are very different. Mike Mike goes from being this psychotic killer of, mm. of both deer <laughs> and enemy combatants to being the, about about preserving life. But also we see him integrated into the Russian roulette scene afterwards. Mm. What is that saying? Is was there a shift between there and then the deer? But then he goes back to the right. I just think it. I think it's a little bit. I feel like on the surface level, yeah, he he wants to he wants to scare the deer away so it can live. I get it. I I see the flip, but I feel like yeah, when you do start to read into it a little bit more, I don't know how it tracks against his character, against the other characters when he shoots the the round into the ceiling, and then sh pulls the trigger against Fredo. Did he know that that wasn't going to kill him? Was that luck again? It, it just, I, I think it's a little bit shakier. I don't view it as, as a particularly strong closure. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, w one thing I also wanted to know, this is not an important thing, but uh, did anyone else notice the very clear, like, 
blood packet on the side of Christopher uh, Walken's head in that last Russian roulette sequence. No, it's like I was he, too he, drawn he's wearing into the, it. He was wearing the red bandana, and there's just like a very weird lump oh. on the side of his head. I'm like, oh, that's where they put the blood packet. Oh, the for squib the, is he, hiding right and the, there. And, and it's it spoiled it for me. It's like, oh, he's about to die because I see the blood packet in his in his headband. Mm. I feel like that whole scene is not particularly subtle in the fact that he's going to kill himself. Yeah. So I kind of saw it coming re- regardless. I don't think that takes away from from the impact of that scene, which, is, again, I think is one of the defining scenes of the film. Mm, yeah. But it is a little bit clear, even though I didn't see the blood packet. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, any final oh, thoughts? Uh, the I really like the somber <laughs> rendition of God Bless America at the end. It's very it's very yeah. sobering and really and really carries a lot of the. Uh, you know the uh, the outside sort of political uh, or political atmosphere of this film as like uh, disillusionment disillusionment with the uh, the concept of American militaries overseas. And not only that, I think that it's it's almost and I think intentionally so ironic in terms of the fact that you know the American military unfairly sent this guy to his death, and then they're mm. like, "Thanks, America," and you're like. Are you fucking kidding me? And also that one guy in this in this store, and I think this is a continuing theme of the end of the movie, is mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, we won, right? Good good job, man. You won it all by yourself. It's like, well, yeah, you weren't there. And also, you don't know, like, it hasn't quite come out yet that this wasn't the ideal war for people to be involved mm-hmm. with, period. So I think that there's some commentary from Chimino, and it's yeah. surprising to see it so close to the war, but I'm glad it was there because I think it reframes, it recontextualizes the, the patriotism and them going off to war and all that at the end. So that's actually one of the a, a pretty big positive at the end yeah. of the film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would just that's... like to note that I, I, I do like that the film also does still honor them for serving. I personally mm. find that important. I, I, I think that you can hold on a, this I don't we're we won't really get into it, but I think you can hold the kind of kind of a contempt or feeling about how about what they were sent into opposed to what they did and their personal heroism and I like that the film does balance both and, and offer multiple different readings on the end of the film as almost like a still we we still love the country and it has still given us this community but it's taken away also i i, I like that there is there is nuance to yeah. the anti-war sentiment I, I i think it's pretty handled i think it's handled pretty well yeah i think i think it's important that they're shown as you know prisoners of war instead of like uh, actual uh, military combatants in the in the war that it, it creates a lot of sympathy for them and cements their characters as well. Yeah, they did. They did mm-hmm. sign up to go, but it's not their fault. They weren't the ones who decided. Well, yeah, they were. To they go. were. Co- they were completely disillusioned too. They're like, "All right, we're gonna have a grand old time." Isn't that right? A uh, random guy sitting at the bar here. He's like, "Fuck it." No, you know. Yeah, that was a very Fuck. that oh, was and, a very and, interesting and, scene. Do you, I, while yeah. while I'm receiving the votes here, do you guys want to discuss that? <laughs> um, Phone. What does that see? What does that scene do to you? Is it does it work as foreshadowing? Is it you know? Is this guy the Green Beret who, uh, you know, De Niro eventually I, turns into? I don't into? know, because it's sort of it's 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 like it it gives us uh, the idea that the this theme will be like ambivalence towards uh but towards the events of the Vietnam War and like uh the PTSD associated with it, and that's not at all what the theme of the movie actually turned out to be. So it's it's a weird thing for me. Obviously, like his reaction is like these guys don't know what they're giving into, but the line that gave it they give him "fuck it" really doesn't carry. Hmm. I I think "fuck it" is no more or less clear than this is what it is. I I feel yeah. like y- y- you read into yeah. it as much as you will. I think it, it worked as foreshadowing for me because this isn't the first thing I've seen about the Vietnam War, especially mm. not <laughs> from from a from an artistic Hollywood filmmaker's perspective, especially with what follows. So it was foreshadowed because I know what happened, but I don't know if it's especially effective with its insular context. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I may. Oh, sorry, Tucker, go ahead. I was just going to finally give a shout out to um, one of their buddies who just says fucking A all the time because oh, yeah. me, and my, <laughs> me and my friends would say that in high school and honestly, this is probably what it comes from and I would, I have no idea. So seeing this guy in, in a 70s movie just essentially say fucking A for every single one of his lines was pretty entertaining and I was like, okay. And also actually that that spins into one of my first point of this. I think the the their relationship at the beginning, the comedic dialogue of them crapping on one another and messing with mm-hmm. each other is yeah. fantastic. I think yeah. it's it's really natural. It's believable. It builds their relationships really well. Something we didn't even really talk about is, the, is their friends and the support system mm-hmm. they have 
I think those are all fun characters. They have really interesting moments at the beginning and establishing those characters in that fun atmosphere and then watching them be uh, disillusioned and, or no, illusioned, I guess, and and, and lose that sense of, of whimsy is, is very interesting. And I'm, mm-hmm. I was very happy that they started with that, even if I thought the beginning was kind of fluff overall. Sure. Uh, one more thing. Uh, a, a bittersweet piece of trivia to land on before we get into our ranking uh, is that this is obviously John Cazale's last movie, uh, a fantastic actor, uh, only in five films. All of them are absolutely stellar. He passed away shortly after this from lung cancer. And the trivia that I was going to say is uh, him and Meryl Streep were romantically involved at the time. Mm. She knew that she was she knew that he was going to be passing away soon. So that's why she took this sort of like more uh, understated role is so she, she could be with him in his final days while they were together on set. Wow. Yeah. Somber. Wow. Somber moment to lead up to our vote here. Mm-hmm. John. He, I mean, what a what a guy. I mean, yeah. I think he's probably the only actor that has more best picture wins in his filmography than not. And the highest three, ratio as three well. Three out of five. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's really good. There's no other way to say it. He's mm-hmm. he's a great character in the film, and he's a very good actor. So, mm-hmm. I think it's time to time to reveal the placement. Are you guys ready? You know where you voted. Yes. I know where I voted. Yes. And I also know where you voted. You also know where we voted, yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a strange feeling about this one, but Timo, lay it on us. Well, Tanner, your, stra- your, your strange point? feeling is, is pretty accurate because it's 21.5. Tanner put 21 mm. for all you listeners out there. Um, or no, what? Tanner put 18, sorry. I put 21. Yes. I'm delusional. I don't have my, my things written down very well. <laughs> Tanner's at, at 20, or uh, Tanner's at 18, I'm at 21, Tucker's at 23, and Abram's at 24. Right around mm. there. That's pretty close together. Um, which all averages mm-hmm. out to 21.5. And according to our highly scientific method of, of numerology, that's uh, 22nd place out of 33 movies. So that would put it, uh, knock down The French Connection one more. So it goes in between Dances with Wolves and The French Connection. What do you guys think about that? Um, that's that's, a, that's it's basically about exactly right where I wanted it. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, I just wanted it. I was actually going to put it above Platoon mostly because I don't remember about a lot about Platoon, and I feel like this one will stick with me more going into uh, future episodes mm. of the show. Uh, but I'm I'm fine with that going with it going where it is. Yeah, it's dev. I actually initially sorry you can finish. Oh, actually, I was just I, I was originally thinking about it in regards to Grand Hotel. I was you know obviously comparing it to Platoon. I guess we were supposed to compare this to Apocalypse Now. That was the film that's not on our oh. list that we were going to talk about. That's <laughs> fine that we didn't mention it. This film I think deserves to stand on its own. Um, mm. But yeah, it, I don't know. It, I think I think it's a time will tell situation about about you know mm-hmm. the Deer Hunter versus Platoon in terms of best picture Vietnam movies. So yes. Yeah, really, really can't say whether or not it should be above or below that at this time. Maybe we'll have to think about it some other time. Who knows? Abram, do you have any? Do you Last have any? thing I want to say. Yep. Go find Bullet in the Head. It's hard to find. Just go find it. And if you if you know it, if you've seen it, I know that Quest viewers watch to the end and they comment. If you've seen Bullet in the Head, affirm to me that it's the same movie but better. Thank mm, you. Okay. A plea to the audience. One thing I I think is interesting about this is. As uh, we kind of gave our initial thoughts, I thought I was the highest on this movie. And as I noted, my opinion on it dropped throughout as I realized that the things that I had issues with were outweighing the positives. While I do think there is good content in there, I think it's something where I kind of have to do a little bit of digging to find those nuggets. And while Mm. those nuggets are present, the digging is unfortunate for a movie that I think, I would hope, is great all around. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it just... Platoon is the better Vietnam War movie. I think it has more interesting characters. It has more interesting things to say about it. It has more memorable sequences, better production design, all of that. And uh, um, the best years of our lives is this movie, but better. Yes. It does the themes better. It's, of course, a different era, but I find the characters more interesting. So while I think this is it's interesting that it combines those two elements, it doesn't really stand much on its own, at least in my opinion, compared mm-hmm. to those two, which I enjoyed significantly more. So... I knocked it down and knocked it down and knocked it down um, as I was considering my ranking. And I'm very, I'm happy with where it went. I mean, it's hmm. one place away from, from where I was going to put it. So I, I, I can't complain, but I just don't think, unlike what Timo said, I don't think this, or Tanner, one of you said that this movie's not going to stick with me. Hmm. I think, I think that I'll remember the roulette sequences and maybe the cinematography of the deer hunting, 
But I, I don't know. I guess that's kind of it. Because when we, in the end, when we say character arcs weren't played out particularly well, I, a lot of it felt like fluff. I, the the themes were basically non-existent. I don't know. I, I think this movie gets a lot of its praise from the era that it was released in and not necessarily because uh, in comparison to everything else or I, I think it just deserves a little more of a critical analysis. Okay. Which we have now given it. <laughs> there you go. Quest. Okay. Shall we take take a, a visit to the supermarket of spin? To, yes. Uh, I don't yes. know why you framed it uh, like that. I've sure. gotten, I've grabbed a hold of my shopping cart, and I am prepared to grab whatever movie we may land upon and throw it in there and head to the old self checkout. All right. Well, let's. <laughs> <laughs> that one... <laughs> okay, Tanner. Do you have that rhyme pulled up in your brain? Extended oh, metaphor. of course I do. I it's it runs through my head on a loop every day. It's torturous, really. <laughs> But uh, I'm prepared. I'm prepared to recite it for you. Okay, are you ready? Three. <clears throat> yes. One. Wheel, wheel. What's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us feel squeal. Is it on digital or is it on real? Wheel, wheel. What is your deal? And look at that. A, a, a quick number four zero round mm. and large. Tucker, would you do me a favor of of pulling up and telling us what movie that is? Exactly. Nothing would make me happier. Um, especially because I think this will be another interesting movie to talk about in terms of uh, this playing my cards a little bit, but POW movies. Um, we've got the 1957 Best Picture winner uh, starring William Holden and Alec Guinness, directed by David Lean, The Bridge on the River the Kwai. The Bridge on ah. the River Kwai. I mean, that's kind of the POW movie. Yes. So we're having a little bit of a theme going mm. on here. Thanks, Wheel. God, you know, God willing, one day we'll be, we'll be out of the weeds of war movies. But uh, today is not that. Uh, day. We will never be out of the the Brit, uh, out of the water of, of war movies. Well, I do have to say, I am a David Lean enjoyer. I really like David Lean movies. Um, mm. And this is not one. Which one is it that you like? I can't. Mm. I, can't I think it's Doctor Zhivago. Hmm. The Bridge on the River Kwai. This is a this is a, a, a pretty well known movie. Um, I'm really looking forward to see it. I think is isn't it pretty long? Uh, it's not as long, but it. Oh wait. Oh wait. No, hold on. Wait. Let's oh, let's no. give this a little check. Oh, uh, no. one sixty one. So it's not as long, but it well, still took two forty. Yep. It's one of the. It's we did some calculations before the show, and this will take one. So we'll have after this, we'll have eighteen two and a half hour plus movies to watch <laughs> for this for this endeavor of ours. Well, and one day we'll get Marty, and it'll be a breezy like oh, eighty minutes, and we'll be like, "Hell oh, yeah!" Oh, please God. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to talking about this one. We'll, I think, we'll get some comparison. POW movies is mm-hmm. apt, um, and you know, warming up. It's 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 all build up for that great big desert epic that I love so much, or not? I don't really know. <laughs> Um, thank you guys for joining me for talking about this film. I think it's interesting. I think Robert De Niro really knocks it out of the park. We mentioned it a couple times. I think it's worth mentioning once more that he and most of the other cast are just absolutely stellar in this movie. And yeah. like you said, Tucker, the, those there's a couple of this moments in this film that are just truly mind-blowing and, and harrowing, nonetheless. There's no other way to say it. So, well... My- Mind that was blowing. bad. That was I. I should not have said that. I should not have said that. Uh, I'm sorry about that one. End the show. End the show. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Remember to do all those funny things on those websites where you view this uh, podcast, whether that's liking or subscribing or commenting or rating it five stars or downloading. There's so many of them that I can't keep them all straight. We'll be back next week to talk about the Bridge on the River Kwai, directed by David Lean. All right, peace.